Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. The true message of the cross. Our fathers, we approach your word, we approach it reverently, and we approach it humbly, submitting ourselves unto you by submitting ourselves unto your word. As your word goes forth, it will go forth in power. Every ear is anointed to hear. Every heart is receptive. I thank you for it. And the Spirit of the living God will bring forth wisdom, and that wisdom shall be acted upon. It will cause life to be developed in the hearts of the hearer. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. And as the anointing is received, it will break every yoke of bondage. Healings will take place. Deliverance will take place as the Word goes forth in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is the true message of the cross? Well, let's find out something that Paul thought about the cross, about the crucified one. In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and verse 2, it's important to know and have a proper understanding of the message of the cross. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul is speaking here to this church at Corinth, and he said, there's only one thing I want to know among you. And if you'll study the first chapter, you'll see that he's referring to the world's wisdom or man's wisdom, man's order of doing things. And he says, I'm determined not to know anything among you except one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you'll turn with me to the book of Philippians, we'll see another statement made by the same beloved apostle, Paul, in the book of Philippians, the third chapter. And we'll begin reading here with verse 7. Again, he's comparing the two lives that he has experienced. I'll just pick it up here at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss, counted loss for Christ. Underline that phrase. I counted those things loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Now, underline all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now underline that. I'd like to inject here some thoughts about, I believe, a message that's going around the churches today that's causing confusion, getting a lot of people into bondage. And it's the message of suffering. It seems as though people think that they're suffering for Jesus, but yet they're suffering the wrong things. It seems it's emphasized in the churches when somebody gets sick that you're suffering sickness and disease for Jesus. And if you'll read your Bible carefully, you'll understand that suffering sickness and disease is not suffering for Jesus. It has nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, I hold this opinion dear to my heart that I believe in you. I'm not being, I will be dogmatic in my own life about it, but... How you want to receive it's up to you. I believe that it is the will of the Father God that every born-again Christian live out his days on this earth without sickness and disease and just go off in the arms of Jesus. That's the will of the Father God. That's what it says here. But when you get, and you see some people say, well, you know, I'm just suffering for Jesus. And they've got this here, this ministry of suffering it's called. You know, you've got to suffer all these things for Jesus. There are things you need to suffer for Jesus. And if they preach the truth about the true suffering, suffering for Jesus... They wouldn't want to do it. Suffering loss of all things for Jesus. Suffering persecution and affliction for Jesus. Suffering perils in the city. Stonings, beatings. All the things that the beloved apostle here suffered for Jesus. And why did he suffer those things? Not because he was sitting in his 
own home church, not doing anything. Because he was out there on the field speaking about the power vested in the name of Jesus. And everywhere he went, he turned the place upside down by the power of God because he knew the excellency of the knowledge of Christ and preached it in the demonstration of the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. Consequently, he suffered imprisonment. But blessed be God because he knew him and he knew how to suffer persecution for Jesus and not accept it but just rejoice in it, the Bible teaches us. The Spirit of God blew open the jailhouse doors and set them free. Amen? And you remember, he said, All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But the Lord delivered me out of them all, Paul said. Amen? Out of all of them. So I just thought I'd interject that thought right here. It was a good place to do it. But let's go on. Whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. What are you willing to give up to know Him? What are you willing to suffer to know Jesus? And, he went on to say, and the fellowship of his suffering. And right there again, I like to inject the same thought. Suffering sickness and disease is not knowing the suffering of Jesus. But it's suffering reproach, suffering persecution, suffering temptation, trials, tribulations, perils among in the city, perils among false brethren, fastings and all tumults, all shipwrecking and sea, all the things this man suffered to gain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And be a partner with his sufferings. Which is really, you're going to find out, to be the crucified life. And when you suffer the crucified life, beloved, if anybody says they've suffered for Jesus, I want to say something to you. Out of that suffering for Jesus comes glory. You suffer for Jesus in the flesh, and it's changed from glory to glory. And the glory of God will begin to permeate your very being. You'll grow into him in all things. You'll get to a place that you conform so much to his suffering that you will be in his image and glory. And I mean before you get off there in the glory. Amen. Let's go on. Here's what he said. The fellowship of his suffering was being made conformable unto his death. And you'll see in the next verse here what he was actually saying was while he was in his body. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And I think in the Amplified Version it gives you a little bit more on that. That he might attain unto this power even while living in the body. Even while living in his mortal body. Which he referred to in Corinthians also when he said that the life of Christ might be made manifest in my mortal flesh. Did you ever read that? That the life of Christ might be made manifest in this mortal flesh of mine. In other words... The life of God has swallowed up this mortal body. Not that I would put it off, he said, but that the glory of God would just overpower me in such a way and, and change me in such a way that when I walk, I am walking as the Master walked. This was what his ultimate goal was. And he says, I'm pressing on for that. As you go on and read the rest of the... I'm not going to take the time to do it, but you read the next few verses and you find out that he was pressing on towards that. That was his goal in life. That's what he wanted to achieve in life. Now, there are many that are satisfied and complacent in their own walk with, with the Lord. They've been born again and filled with the Spirit, speaking with other tongues, and they felt, this is it, I've arrived. Now let's just sit down right here. It's a good place to stop. But beloved, there's another step to go. As long as you're walking with the Master, and as long as you're walking in this body, there's always another step to go. You've always got another step to go. Just when you thought you was doing pretty good, just when you thought, boy, I've arrived now, there's always another step to go. Keep pressing on. Amen? Just keep right on pressing on. Now, if one is going to do this, then one's going to have to have a true conception of what took place on Calvary. One is going to have to know fully and understand fully what Jesus did upon the cross. And you're going to have to have also 
proper knowledge and understanding that there are two points of view that one could, when one looks at the cross, there's two points of view that you could look at upon that cross. One is from a revelation knowledge side and point of view, and one is from a sense knowledge point of view. And what I want to bring out to you today is that Paul had a revelation, what we call revelation knowledge, point of view of the true message of the cross. Whereas, opposed to the disciples, they had what we call a sense knowledge point of view of the cross. You remember there when they stood below Calvary and they looked up upon that cross and they saw the man with whom they walked, the man that did great mighty things while he was in their midst, they saw him hung there. And they looked up. What kind of message did they receive at that time from that cross? What kind of message did the disciples receive when they stood there before the one who they thought was the king, before the one who they thought was going to lead them into places of glory, places of leadership, to give Israel back the kingdom. But there he was, hung upon that cross. No life left in him. What message did that portray to their hearts? You see, there's two sides to the cross. And I'm sad to say this, but it's true. Even born-again, spirit-filled believers have missed out on the true message of the cross. They have missed out because they've not received revelation knowledge that was given to us through the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God concerning the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Now you remember that John said in his opening epistle, the things that I have seen, the things that I have heard, the things that I have handled of the Word of Life. They were there. They saw it all. They saw all that took place. They saw the nail prints in his hands. They saw the crown of thorns. They saw all that happened to him on that, well, I don't know what you want to call it, but I call it a horrible day. On one side, knowing that our master had to suffer the torments, not only of physical death, but of spiritual death. But also there's another side, the glory side, that for some reason, born-again, spirit-filled Christians, they don't see. But before you leave this place of worship, I believe you'll have a fresh knowledge, a fresh understanding, and a fresh message that will not only pierce your heart, but that will make your heart once again vibrant with the same love you had when you first got born again. Because many hearts, even in born-again, spirit-filled, full gospel churches, instead of growing tender, have grown harder towards the true message of the cross. But blessed be God, I believe and know as we begin to unveil to our hearts the truth of Calvary, that these hearts are, are again going to be softened and quickened by this great love wherewith the Father loved us. And the love in the body of Christ will be fervent one towards another. Amen. Now this is the revelation side. So go with me to the book of Galatians. And the first chapter. And I want to share with you that the Apostle Paul... had a message given to him by revelation that declared to you and me the true message of the cross. Let's just for teaching's sake give you both sides. Let's give you titles. One could look at the cross from a sense knowledge standpoint, which is man's view or Satan's view. And one could look at the cross from a revelation knowledge standpoint, which is the Father's view. See, from the Father's viewpoint. And if you'll follow me clear, clear through with this, you'll begin to see that both messages 
depending on which side you're on, will portray a picture or an image. And whichever one you hold dear to your heart is the one you're going to pattern your life after. I have discovered and found out through meditating on this that this is why it's so hard to get the body of Christ to stand together as one. Believing the same doctrine. Being of one mind. Someone says, well, that's not going to happen. Listen to me. Through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote and said he wanted us to be like-minded of the same Spirit, keeping the unity of the faith in peace, in harmony, walking in the same love. Is that true? Walking in the same light. Is that true? Walking in the same life. Is that true? If he said we can do it, then we can do it. But I believe we need to have an understanding of the true message. Now, this message was given to Paul in the first chapter of the book of Galatians. You'll begin to see it as we read, start reading with verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Now, note this. Revelation knowledge does not come from man. Revelation, the gospel that Paul preached was not the same gospel that was portrayed when Jesus died upon that cross through sense knowledge, through man's view. Man stood there and, and, and saw him dead. Man stood there and saw him defeated, a failure. And we'll get into that in a second. We'll give you the whole picture of it. But Paul said, I have received a message of this gospel that I consider to be one worth giving up all my achievements for and counting everything I've received otherwise as done. And I am willing to know nothing among all the brethren except Jesus and Him crucified and the message I have of this cross. Now, he went on to say, For I neither received it of man. Again, man is... Symbolic here of, re of sense knowledge and Satan's view. Neither was I taught it, but by the revelation. Revelation stands for revelation knowledge. Or something that is revealed by the Spirit. In this case, you'll see that it was revealed of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to him, beloved and revealed to him the true message of the gospel. Jesus revealed to Paul. You know, most people spend their time trying to figure out all these Old Testament things. And I'm not belittling the Old Testament. But they're trying to make all these doctrines out of Old Testament types. And it's some things back there that you know, don't even pertain to us in this here dispensation. And they're trying to incorporate them in our walk. Instead of living by the revelation that was given to this great apostle by Jesus Christ himself to fulfill the word of God and to show us what took place at the cross. And some say, let's get back to the cross. Yeah, and they get back to the cross. They get it from a sense knowledge point of view, not from a revealed knowledge point of view. Now, this was revealed to Paul by Jesus. Paul had not, he didn't even have a very good message of the cross. His message of the cross was anybody that believed in this man, Jesus, I'm going to kill him. Anybody that didn't even breathe out the name of Jesus, I'm going to throw him in a prison. You remember? He was on the road to Damascus. He's ready to kill out anybody that called upon that name. Get rid of him. That was his message of, of Jesus. But on that road to Damascus one day, Jesus appeared to him and by revelation took him back to that cross and whispered in his ear and his heart a message that caused this great man, by the world's standards, to dispose of all that he had and count, suffer the loss of everything that he had for the excellency of this knowledge. Beloved, there's not a job that you have that's more important than you receiving revelation knowledge. There's not a college or a university on this earth that's more important than you receiving the revelation knowledge of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's when we get out of the boat and get into the faith of God, it's when we leave and count all these things but loss for the excellency of this knowledge is when we're going to get it. And then begin to walk in the light of it. Now, 
This is how he received it. He received it directly by revelation. I want to show you now, before I go any further, the two messages of the cross. In the book of Psalms, go back to the 22nd chapter. And we're just going to read six verses. And I just want you to make a little mark there in your Bible. This is the sense knowledge view. This is man's view of the cross. 22nd Psalm. This is the message that sense knowledge has of the man on the cross. And it goes like this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? That's the cry of most people even in the body of Christ today. And from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now I can go on and read the whole chapter. But I'm not going to take the time to do that. You can do it for yourself. This is the picture of sense, the sense knowledge man. He's looking at the cross and he sees defeat. One more scripture I think would enlighten you would be Isaiah the 52nd chapter and verse 14. His visage was so marred. I think the Amplified says he, he was a whore to behold. You couldn't even look at his face. His face, his image, his appearance was dis destroyed. Anybody that looked at the man, no one would, would stand below and look upon that cross, look at the appearance of Jesus on that cross, say, Wow, what a great victory! If you could stand the sight of it, to even look at him, you'd probably faint. Because it even says back there, they were astonished. It was darkened, I believe. Because if anybody saw the horror, the true horror, when he became sin for you and became sin for me, they couldn't stand to even look at it. The man was mangled. His form was so marred that he didn't even look like a man. Now, some people hold this image of him in their hearts, even though with their mouths they say, yes, he's Lord, but they go off and act like he can't hear their prayers and can't answer their prayers. He can't do anything for them. Yes, he's Lord. You see, their mouth says one thing, but their hearts have another image of the Master. You know why? They're holding to a sense knowledge view of the man on the cross. Now, I said that this is Satan's point of view. Now, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you some things you need to either write down in your Bible somewhere or mark them somewhere. Get the tape or something. First of all, the cross, from man's point of view and from Satan's point of view, is a symbol of Satan's victory triumphing over God. It's a message of Satan's victory triumphing over God. Now, I'm going to incorporate this into your walk. You are a born-again, spirit-filled believer. Listen to me. Every time you say, oh, the devil's been after me all week, you see, the view you have of that cross is that Satan won. Oh, the devil's doing this. No, the devil's doing that. I'll tell you what, I'm not concerned about the devil. He is whipped, defeated, and paralyzed. Through death, Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil he's destroyed. You see, yes, Jesus is my Lord. But I'll tell you what, that devil, I'll tell you, he just magnify the devil all day long. That's what people do. Because in their hearts, they have a sense, a sense knowledge view of the man. They still see him there, hung on that cross in shame, defeated. They see Satan as victor, evidently. You mean Jesus isn't great enough to destroy the works of the devil in your life? I want you to get another image of this man from Galilee. And you will get that as we go along. Number two, it's a symbol of defeat. Failure, agony, and misery. That's a sense knowledge point of view of this great man. That's a message that's coming forth from that cross. If you're looking at it from a sense knowledge point of view. 
Number three, it's a picture of suffering and shame. And number four, it's a picture of the king being crowned with crowns, a crown of thorns. What kind of exaltation is that? Now, does your heart hold this image of the Master? Is that the message that you are receiving from Calvary? That I could come to a church service and just shout hallelujah every once in a while, but when I go back to my domain, I stay there and I'm just destroyed by sickness, destroyed by disease, and destroyed by poverty, and destroyed by confusion, and destroyed by fear, and I'm, who's your God? What kind of image do you have of the Messiah? You're still holding on that this man is still defeated, whipped, destroyed. Because you're looking at it from a sense knowledge point of view. But blessed be God, there's another point of view. You'll find... Let's, let's turn to these couple of scriptures. Galatians, the third chapter and verse 13. It's true. All these things are true. Everything that I just said is true. It was a picture of shame. It was a picture of agony. It was a picture of failure. It was a picture of defeat. It was a picture of Satan defeating God on that cross if you look at it from a sense, knowledge, point of view. That's what it looked like. That's exactly what it appeared. Satan was rejoicing. He looked forward to that day. He couldn't do anything with the man while he was alive, so he figured if I could just kill the man, I'll gain the victory. And he thought he did. Boy, I'll tell you what, does Jesus reign in your heart today? Blessed be God, the man is not defeated. And we're going to get him down from that cross here in a minute. Galatians, the third chapter, they hold this point of view. Christ, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made the curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, that's true. But you see, there's a next verse there, but we're going to get that in a second. There's another verse that goes along with that verse. And most people that will preach, I, let me say this, most people that preach never heard of us being redeemed from the curse of the law. They don't know what it means to be redeemed from the curse of the law. All they know is that Jesus became the curse and they hold that view of the man becoming the curse for them. And they see themselves still defeated. Another scripture shows us, don't turn to it, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And the scripture doesn't stop there either. But they see the man becoming sin for them. But still bound up by sin. They see him becoming the curse for them. But they're still bound up by the curse. Why? Why is it? They have a wrong picture of this man on the cross. They stopped short. They stopped right there. And they did not go on to study the revealed side of the cross. The revelation of that cross. Now... Galatians 3.13 did say that, that he became the cursed force. But did you notice verse 14? That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. This is inferring to you and to me another message coming off that cross. I said this is revealing to you and to me that there's another side of that cross. If you just look at him becoming the curse for you, you hold that one image or that one point of view, you don't have the full picture. He became the curse for me so that the blessings of Abraham might come on me. We're shedding a little bit of light that there's another message to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the latter part of it said, part B, the first part said he, became, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Every pulpit should be speaking about Abraham's blessings being ours. Every pulpit should be preaching not condemnation, but righteousness is ours. But they hold fast to the one image. I'm just a little old worm in the dust. You see where they get that worm from? Psalm 22, you know what it said? I'm a worm and no man. And so they see themselves as a worm and no man. And I've even heard preachers stand up behind a pulpit and say, How unworthy I am to be here, Father. Blessed be God. Repent, He'll forgive you for that. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You have been recreated and it took the blood of Jesus and you make a statement like that when he says, you have become my righteousness. I didn't write the Bible. He says, I'm the righteousness of God. He says, Abraham's blessings are mine. He did all that suffering on that cross for you and for I. And if it, for me, if, he, if you don't see that, then you're going to get a new vision of this. You're going to get a revealed knowledge 
of the true message of the cross. Now, let's go to the Father's point of view. We'll begin to see something here that the Father had to use the Apostle Paul to reveal to him, as we saw there in the book of Galatians, another message from the cross apart from what the early disciples saw standing there watching him be destroyed. Now that message that's revealed to you and me from the Father's point of view can only be seen through the eyes of love. Write that down. Don't ever forget it. The only way you can have the true message of the cross revealed to you is by looking at it through the eyes of love. And I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to add this. Everything you say about your father, everything you know about your father will be born out of love. A person that says God wants you flat on your back with sickness and disease does not know that God loves them. Did you hear me? I didn't say that he's a, he's a fine Christian and a fine saint. And I didn't say that, praise God, he's on his way to glory. But he has not received the truth of the message of the cross. And I'm going to introduce you to that truth today. And you go home and meditate on this, it'll change your entire walk with him. It'll change your entire attitude. Now, from the cross, write this down. From the Father's point of view, the cross was love's method of war on sin. The cross was love's method of war on sin. Number two, it was love conquering Satan, sin, selfishness, disease, and all that Satan represents. If you don't have that revelation, then hold tight. You'll begin to see it. The cross, from the Father's point of view, from a revealed knowledge point of view, was not Satan defeating God, but God defeating Satan. Which point of view is right? See, we come to choice. Either God defeated Satan or Satan defeated God on the cross. If sin won out over love, then we live in sin. If the cross wasn't enough to destroy sin, then may I ask you what is? But if it's destroyed, we're no longer bound by sin. If the cross was not enough to destroy sickness and disease, and the Bible says Jesus himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, then what is enough to destroy sickness and disease? We must live in sickness and disease. Either it is or it isn't. If it is, you're getting a new revelation right now. Blessed be God, he did it for me. See? So from the Father's point of view, Yes, number one, he did. It was love's war, a method of war on sin. It was love conquering Satan, sin, sickness, and disease. But you say, how? When you see him hung there in naked shame. Well, when you find out how, you're going to find out how you can walk in the same power of the resurrection of Christ. And thirdly, and you're going to love it, the cross was love's way to the throne. The cross was love's way to the throne. Little did the disciples know before Jesus departed and said to them in John 14 chapter, starting with verse 1, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also, and the way I go, whether I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. The way was the way of love. The way to the throne was the way of the cross. The way to the Father's presence was the way of love. If you want to enter into your Father's presence, you've got to enter in by love. I mean now. I've given you both pictures of it. 
If you're saved now, you've got to walk in love to enter into His presence. Every step out of love is a step out of fellowship with the Father. Every step, every move out of love is a move into darkness. But every step in love is walking in the light. So, this was the way to the throne. The Father saw it as love's way to the throne. And let me give you some scriptural references right now to show you the true side of Calvary. You all know, I'm sure, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, here's the message of the cross, that He gave His only begotten Son. That sounds foolish from sense knowledge. How could a man that's hung there, dead, defeated, instead of a crown of glory, a crown of thorns, how could that person be victorious? From a sense knowledge point of view, no one knew. No one else knew what was going on. They couldn't understand it. But it says, For God so loved you and me that He gave Him. Now listen, Jesus said it like this, John 15, 13. Grab a hold of it. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So the message of the cross, the true message of the cross, is the message of love. Love. Now notice he said, Greater love hath no man than this. And what he was actually referring to, isn't that somehow John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world? But one John 3.16 says, You ought to love as I loved. Go there with me for a second. Turn there. He said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Right? No, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's exactly a picture of the cross, that he laid down his life for his friends. He says, this is no, there's no greater love than this. There's no greater love than what he did for us on Calvary. But look at what 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to, or we owe it to him to lay down our lives. Don't. Lose that scripture. You got John 3.16 in your heart? Put this scripture in your heart if you want to walk in the presence of the Father. He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is the true message of the cross and you're going to see it clearly. This is the true message of the cross. We're going to give you another scripture. Two, two scriptures that are astounding, if you can grab a hold of it. Romans 5, 9. The true message of the cross. Now, he said in verse 8, Paul did, For scarcely for a righteous man, this is Romans 5, 8, For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, will one die, Yet preadventure for a good man, one would even dare to die. But God commendeth or introduced His love towards us. Now the word commendeth there, you write that in your Bible, introduced. God introduced His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now grab a hold of what I'm saying. You see, the message of the cross is still love. He said that Christ dying for us was His introducing His love to us. Isn't that right? Christ dying for us, for God so loved the world that He gave. Christ dying for us, greater love hath no man than this, that He laid down His life. Was the Father introducing His love to the world? For God so loved the world that He gave. Now listen. You are not the world any longer. You are born again. Now listen. He went on to say the next three words in verse 10 that you better circle. How much more? For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more. Underline those words. Much more. Say them with me. Much more. Now, wait a minute. You're not getting it yet. 
If when we were enemies, God introduced us to His love for us, while we were alienated from God, He introduced us to His love. Love came, love lived, love died, and nobody knew it. But love was introduced to us when He died for us. And all that love that was introduced to us came while we were yet enemies, sinners, aliens. But, he says, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God, if God loved us so much while we were an enemy, now notice this, by the death of His Son, much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved, delivered. That word saved and it's the same word that has incorporated within it salvation, deliverance, healing, preservation, soundness, wholeness, completeness. In other words, the true message of the cross then that he's unfolding to us is this. The Father's love was so great towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Enemies, Christ died for us. But the picture that's coming from Calvary is this. Now that you are born again, now that you are reconciled by His blood, how much more will that love be shown in your life? To heal your body, to deliver you, to set you free? Anything. I'll show it to you in the book of Ephesians. You begin with verse 1, chapter 2. And you who are dead... In you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, where in times past, in times past you walked according to the course of this world, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. There's the picture. But, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even, see this great love? This great love He introduced us to, even when we were dead in sins, has He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and raised us up and made us to sit together with Him in heavenly places. For what purpose? Verse 7. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding, exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us. You starting to see it? His love for us was so great and so far-reaching that He sent Jesus while we were enemies. Now being justified and reconciled by the blood, he says, I am able to show you the exceeding riches of my grace and kindness towards you. Oh, one could just stand in awe of the concern and the care that the Father has for those he calls his own. One's mind could not grasp the depths of what it means that the Father loved us so dearly that He gave us Jesus and that was just an introduction to His love and reconciled us to show us the exceeding riches of His grace. Ooh. For by grace are you saved, verse 8 says, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you, beloved, verse 10, are His workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus under good works, that God before ordained that you should walk in them. You were an alien at one time, strangers, without hope and without God, but now you've been made nigh by the precious blood. And He's not just stopped there with your new birth, my friend. Now you're His child. Now you're in His family. Now He wants to show you the exceeding riches of His grace. This is the message coming off that cross. 
Now we can incorporate right into that scripture Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God be for us, then who can be against us? If God spare not His only Son, are you ready? But delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with His only Son freely give us all things? That's the true message of the cross. You know, it never dawned on my spirit at one time that my father would never heal me. It never dawned on my spirit at one time that he wouldn't provide my need. I knew how to learn how to get it. I knew how to learn how to get my healing. I knew how to learn how to get these things. But I never doubted the fact that he wanted to do it for me. I knew he did. Because these scriptures were burned in my heart. That Romans 8.32 was burned into my spirit to where I began to see something that the ultimate thing that He can do for us while a sinner would be die for us. This is the ultimate love. That's the limit of love. And He went to the limit to introduce me to His love, but now He makes me one with Him in the new birth and says, now you're my child. I'll show you the exceeding riches of my love and grace. You know how He does it? He says, come, son, with me. The kingdom is yours. You partake of my nature, you're one with me. You become an heir of God, a joint heir with the Son. You're in the family now. All that I have is yours, son. Hallelujah. That's the true message of the cross. That's what he's telling to us. That, see, love is the energizing force behind faith. Galatians 5, 6 says what? For in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything. It's faith which works by love. In other words, faith which is energized by love. Love is the energizing force behind your faith. Someone says, my faith just doesn't seem to work. You know why? You've got to get back into your first love. You forgot how much the Father loves you. You let that slip by, didn't you? You forgot that His love is being poured from Calvary out to your very own spirit in such a way that He wants to show you the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards you. The only way you can come boldly and have confidence before His throne where He says to come boldly to the throne of grace and find, you may find mercy and grace and help in a time of need. You come boldly because this is the confidence that we have. As He is in heaven, so am I on the earth. I realize His love for me is so great that I boldly stand before Him and say, Abba, Father, confident that He loves me. Totally confident that His love is so far-reaching. Now, if His love is that far-reaching for me and, and he, he loves me like He says He does right here, which we just showed, if He does love me that much and His, his love is that far-reaching for me, well, did His love defeat sin in my life? Did His love destroy sickness and disease in my life? Or is Calvary just a myth? Is it saying, is it a, just a tease? Is He mocking us? Is that what He's doing? Saying, oh, I provided it for you, but I'm not going to give it to you. I was just kidding. I took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, but you've got to live under the consequences of them. I took your sin, yeah, but you'll sin for the rest of your life. You'll never amount up to anything. No. You know, John said, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. But I wrote these things unto you, children, that you sin not. Oh, glory to God. Have we ever, ever gotten to the depths of who we actually are in Christ? The reason why people are having problems in these areas is because love is not on their throne in their heart. And the true message of Calvary is the message of love. His love for me and my love for Him so intense, so fervent that, as the one writer said, if I saw hell on one side and sin on the other, I'd rather jump in hell than sin against my Father God. Where are the hearts of God's people today? They should be burning with the same words. I count everything but dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I count all the achievements I have in this world, but nothing for the excellency of His love for me. Because when you know the Father's love for you, my friend, and you walk in that love, you have found a friend in this life that will see you off to glory and you'll live free from all the adversaries. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 16 that you keep yourself and you keep yourself in the love of God and the wicked one will touch you not. Amen? Now, either he's mocking us or he meant it. Don't you want to get to a place that no evil will befall you and no plague come even now you're dwelling? Why is it in the Bible? Just to, again, tease us? No, I don't believe that. I believe it's there because it's attainable. Do you? But Paul says, I've not attained yet, but blessed be God, I'm moving on to the best. 
see where his heart was? Now I'm going to show you that that best is in love. It's in love. It's born out of love. The message of the cross is, is a message of love. And let me say something else. To be successful in this Christian walk, you remember over there in Colossians, the first chapter, verse 9, where Paul says, Since the day I heard it, I cease not to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of Him, of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You remember that? If you don't remember, look at it. Because I want you to see it. Colossians 1, 9. He said, Since the day I heard it, I cease not to make mention of you in my prayers, praying that you would be full of all the knowledge of His will in wisdom, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How many of you here could say with me, boy, if I just had the wisdom that I needed, I'd have, gotten, I'd have made a success. Boy, if I just... See, some Christians are so unsuccessful because they have no wisdom. How many of you agree with me and said, when I first got saved, boy, I really messed it up with witnessing to my parents and witnessing to my family and witnessing to this because I lacked wisdom. I didn't walk in wisdom. Well, listen to this. Wisdom will bring success. We know that. Success is born out of wisdom. But wisdom is born out of love. Note that. Verse 10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing. How many of you want to walk worthy of the Lord? Anybody here want to walk worthy of the Lord? How about the preacher that says that I'm unworthy? You're totally contradicting what God said. He said, be full of His knowledge of all His will in all wisdom that you might walk worthy of the Lord. So to say that I am not walking worthy of the Lord is saying that I'm not even understanding the knowledge of His will for my life. It's saying that I'm not doing what He said to do. But blessed be God, He said you can walk worthy. Did He say that? Now I want to show you this. I want to show you how to be a successful Christian by getting this true message. In the book of 1 Corinthians, I'll show you that the wisdom of God is born out of His love. And when people leave love, they lack wisdom. I said, when people get out of love, they lack wisdom. When you lack wisdom, you lack success. You'll have failure and defeat. He said, Paul said, we're getting back to the first scripture. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Let's begin reading with verse 1. We'll read right on through. 1 Corinthians, second chapter. He starts out by saying to them, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, he's talking about man's wisdom. See, that man that said that had his own sense knowledge view of the cross. All he saw was that Jesus was, yeah, died and raised again. But you see, he didn't see beyond that and said, I'm just as much a worm as anybody else. He had no sense of righteousness, had no sense of the knowledge of the true revelation of how much God loves him. But over here, he says, I didn't come to you with that kind of wisdom. Verse 2, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech was not, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but, you see, in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world, which come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God. Now, underline this because you've been searching for the wisdom of God in your life. And here it comes. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The mystery was on Calvary. I'll show it to you. It was birthed out of God's love. Wisdom came forth from His love. Look at it. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, that's knowledge, for had they known it, knowledge, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had the devil known the revealed side of God's love of Calvary, if the devil had known revelation knowledge, he can't, he's a dummy, you can, I can, had the devil known that, the devil would not have... Would you crucify somebody that through death he'll crucify you? Had the devil known that, the devil would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
So God's love for men was so far-reaching and there was so much wisdom in love that it caused Jesus to go to the cross. Man's wisdom would look and see he's dead, he's a failure, he's defeated, he's no good, he's, he's nothing. But the wisdom of God from the revealed side said, and when everything looks bad, I mean when everything looked terrible, it said that through his death, he would destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Love gave birth to God's wisdom. God's wisdom gave birth to success. Now incorporate that into your life. You are called to the same walk. As a matter of fact, let's look at another scripture here. We've got to tie this scripture in here before we close. First, let's, well, let's, let's look at, take a look at Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter. You remember that Jesus was hung there in nakedness and shame. He was crowned with thorns. His visage was so marred, he looked like a horrible sight. He was destroyed. It looked like utter failure. It looked like Satan defeated God. And that's how people are talking today in the world. It looks like I'm defeated. It looks like I'm downcast and downtrodden. I can't get this from God. I can't get my prayers answered. They have that point of view, a defeated point of view of Calvary. But you know what they did not see? All those that gazed upon him in nakedness and shame and mocked him and spit upon Jehovah himself, laughed at him and said, if you're going to come down, you, you raise the dead, you claim to heal the sick, you, you open the blind eyes, the deaf ear, etc., etc., etc. And they laughed and mocked him and said, if you are who you say you are and claim to who to be, get on down from that cross. You know what they didn't see? They didn't see behind the scenes of love. Because blessed be God on that resurrected morn, He came up from that grave and He stood there clothed and arrayed in glory. And He stood there and said, I am He that liveth and was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And what He was inferring was this. Did you know that death was keeping man from God's love? How many of you know that? What was separating man from God's love? Death. Death was. Man was spiritually dead, separated from God. He couldn't get back to God's love. Why? Because death separated man from God. So Jesus became death. And when He became death, He destroyed death in the hearts of you and me who've accepted Him. Right? And He raised up from death, which was God's love in action for you and me, and said, I am He that liveth and was dead, but hold I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of hell. And now no longer can death separate man from God. I am the resurrection and the life. If a man believe on me, he'll never die. Hallelujah. Think about it. Romans, the eighth chapter, that's what Paul meant when he said, nor angels or principalities, nor powers, nor mights or dominions, nor life, nor death can now separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Love. Here it is. I want you to see it. 9.23. And he said unto them all, are you ready now? Are you ready for the true message of Calvary? If any man will come to me, after me, let him deny himself. Number one. That means crucify selfishness. Deny your life and count it but dung. Number one. Let him deny himself, selfishness and love met on the cross. See, Calvary depicts two lives, which we'll see in a second. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. The cross didn't save you, Jesus did. But you have a cross to bear. And the true message of that cross is not to sit back and let the devil walk all over your face. But the true message of the cross is this. It's found in, hold your place to Romans, the fifth chapter. And 6th chapter, I'm sorry, Romans 6 and verses, start with verse 4. Here's the two messages, or the two lives from the cross. Taking up your cross is walking in love. I'll say that much right now. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, also, we should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, 
we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. The person that takes up the cross takes up the same thought that Jesus had. Greater love hath no man than this. I lay down my life for my friends. You, beloved, you've been called to lay down your life. You've been called to crucify your life. Your outward life. Your lower form of life. Not exalted, but crucified. What will you gain? The excellency of the life of Christ. The resurrection of the power of Christ. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.